0: Welcome to Build Better Brands, I'm Danielle Clark, and this show is here to provide insights, techniques and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. So today I'm joined by Paul David and William Gadsby-Pete. They are founders of Literal Humans and they have a focus on creating resilient brands, but brands that are mission driven, so brands with real values and a little bit like us, like Daniel Clark Creative. Uh, you guys started during the pandemic, so tell me how is that going for you
1: yeah um we just we just got off uh, a call with our accountant and so far so good we, they, they're happy to report numbers are <laughs> trending in the right direction up and to the right um and yeah i mean a bit bit of our origin story we kind of um met through the power of content marketing i was working in a previous agency will hit you know one of the ebooks that we had listed to help you know folks learn how to do content marketing and um, I just chased him down because I had his email at that point. Um, and uh, we, we got a, a pint in, in 2019 in the summer on uh, in Shoreditch. And, and then we didn't realize we were starting an agency at that point, but we were. And then obviously the pandemic happened. And uh, yeah, we just had nothing better to do. Realized we had very complementary skill sets in the digital marketing and content marketing space. And uh, yeah, Literal Humans was born in, in June of uh, 2020. So here we are a little over two years later.
2: Yeah, and to how it's going, I'd say something we at the time sort of gambled on a little but um were proven you know thankfully right on was there probably wasn't a better time to start than in the middle of the pandemic um obviously um first six months were pretty rough and everyone batting down the hatches no one had any budget but then everyone realized the only way we can make money is online um you know good time to be in a digit uh, to run a content digital marketing agency because to sell stuff online you need content and digital marketing so you know it, it proved to be a bit of a lucky slash strategic masterstroke
0: cool um um you said you were talking over a pint uh i really want to know what the point was if you can even remember what what sort of point do you have when you go to the pub
2: it was in the goose island pub in shoreditch so it was one of their uh, on-brand beers. I think I had a pint of Google. Uh, sorry, of Google uh, of Go- <laughs> uh, Goose Goose Island I- Goose Island IPA.
1: Um, and I think Paul might have gone for a Camden Hells, if I remember correctly. Okay. Wow, that's impressive. I wow. Feel, I feel- I feel like part of a, a couple where like one person, the couple remembers something like a movie they watch together and the other just completely forgets. So I just feel very, very accountable. I feel attacked a little bit. I, I was wearing orange. It was,
2: a, it was a, a blustery day in the middle of July. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. Oh, uh, awesome. Um, yeah. I'm amazed that you remembered. I did not think you would, but yeah. Nice. I, yeah. I
2: remember the pub because my friend helped launch that pub ah. and I'd been there like two weeks before at the launch party and i think that's why i suggested it to paul um and so yeah i've just very randomly happened to be a pub that i know really well
1: this is Absolutely. why our partnership works so well will's always been the details guy <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's i really, can see
0: yeah. that i can yeah. see that although you've got i mean google a google pint. there should be a google pint.
2: <laughs> it's, it's surely it's coming <laughs> when the, our supreme overlords google will also start doing beer <laughs>
0: Imagine delivery. if they did. I think, yeah, maybe we should do. Um, maybe we should do that. If Google did, you know, brought out a beer, what would it look like? What would the branding look like? That could be quite cool. If,
2: if tech brands were cocktails, would yeah. be a great bit of content. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> this martini awesome. tastes a bit like the slow erosion of democracy. It must be a Facebook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, tell me, literal humans. Where did that name come through? Come from? Because it's, I was trying to, I was trying to like come to my own conclusion, but I'm not sure. Tell me.
1: I, th- I think Will gets credit for this one. It, like, it's one of those like like things. Like, we don't quite remember who said, but I think it was Will. So I'll let him tell there. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Um. Yeah. We we were sort of brainstorming. Um. One of the things that's been at the heart of our agency, and I think this is just true of all marketing. Most marketing shit, um and the reasons that it's bad is that it just talks at people rather than to them, and all the best content marketing, all the best marketing. Tells a story, you know. It treats people like humans, and it tells a human narrative. And so we were like, we were, when we were talking right at the start about starting the agency, we were like, what do we want the absolute brand pillars to be? And we spoke about that as being one of them. Like everything we do is for humans by humans. And then like you know, I jokingly was like, we could just call the agency Literal Humans. <laughs> and then like, and then like we, we laughed about it, and then we carried on. And then like a uh. week later, when we came to have a conversation about what the name should be, we were like, has anyone come up? With anything better than literal (laughs) humans and we were like no it's perfect
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh we laughed but then it (laughs) stayed
1: and it it, it gets us a lot of mileage like I think it just sticks in people's heads and maybe they laugh or chuckle about it initially or or they ask about it you know so it's um and and, you know to be fair like your first job as a marketer and you're starting an agency is to like build something memorable build a memorable brand for yourself that that will be sticky in people's minds and you know thankfully we accomplished that I think so
0: yeah, definitely. And I was looking at your website and the thing I really liked was the, the illustrations because none of them are humans. Mm. They're kind of humans, but with animal heads.
2: I'm so glad you like, yeah, that's a stupid little joke that me and Paul <laughs> thought was hilarious. And but I'm so glad someone like, like obviously you're a, you're a pro designer as well. Yeah. So you, you would clock it. But I'm very happy someone else has got that joke other than just me and Paul chuckling. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I was like, "Oh, there's no humans on this website." <laughs>
1: and, and sort of a credit due to our creative directors, uh, Annabelle and Derek, who, um, yeah, they just they absolutely crushed us and made made it crushed it and made us look better than we are, and and played along with our joke of let's not have humans, let's have anthropomorphic animals doing human things, and, yeah. yeah. So,
0: no, that's awesome. I like it. So let's talk a bit more about literal humans and what you guys do. So. It's human to human content, If you said, you, as, as you've just said, you know, with everything that you do starts from the fact that you are humans creating content for humans. Um, but you do this for um, mission-driven brands, but brands that are in the tech, SaaS, um, uh, startups, you know, brands around social impact. I'm not too sure what SaaS is, I'll be honest. Um, you know, we pretend I'm seven and explain to me what it is that you guys actually do.
2: Um, yeah. So SaaS is just software as a service. So um, Dropbox is SaaS. Um, anything that you pay, you know, technically Netflix is kind of SaaS. It's anything you pay a recurring retainer for, and in return you get software. Um, as as a toolset. So, uh, you know, the one you'd be super familiar with is uh, Adobe or um, Figma or Canva. Those are all SaaS products. Um, obviously with the world we live in today those are the ones that tend to be the kind of unicorns so um, the reason we focus on startups in the SaaS space is they tend to grow very quickly um, and very in- interestingly um, with regards to sort of um, mission driven yeah I mean we, we just we work with people we think are making the world a better place in some regard um, you know we we don't work for anyone we think is doing Anything actively bad, um, and we don't work for anyone that you know. We just think are not going to be into our style and our marketing. Um, you know, anyone who's going to be too by the numbers, too boring, um, too uninterested in what we do, um, and on on top of those sort of. Um, B2B SaaS folk uh, um, in the startup space we also have a few more established clients and we've also done quite a lot of work in the nonprofit space kind of carrying on that mission driven um, focus just you know anyone we think is trying to make the world a better place we're fully on board to jump on with um, sort of content digital marketing website builds branding whatever it is they need Um, so yeah that's that's kind of it I know it's a lot of jargon heavy um, copy on on our uh, website but that's what it means it's just people creating software and creating tech that's trying to make the world a better place
0: Okay, I love that, and I love the fact that you're working. You're working with brands that are trying to make the world a better pre- a place. Um, one of the one of the reasons I went solo and decided to start my own business myself was because I was very frustrated with some of the people and brands that I had to work with. Mm. A lot of them didn't align with what I believe to be fair and right and my values. And because I wasn't in a position to to change that because I didn't didn't own the business, because I wasn't, you know, creative director, CEO, whatever, you know, I couldn't really change that. And it yeah, it started to really annoy me and frustrate me. And that was one of the one of the reasons I decided to to do this. So that I could be more selective about who I work with and ultimately try and try and work with the little guys for the people that aren't necessarily paid attention to, cared about, um, that are seen as maybe too small for some mm. of the bigger agencies. Like branding isn't for them because they're just a one-man band, whatever, one-woman band. But um, So that was one of my frustrations. But I'd love to know what frustrates you about the branding industry and and what brands do Paul
1: Yeah it's a good I mean loads how much time do you have <laughs> um I think um, yeah, I mean, I think Will's point earlier about like you know brands talking at people instead of with them or or even you know to them with like a really deep sense of what they care about. Um, we just got off a call the other day with a client, and, and we we spent a lot of time talking about their their ICPS, their ideal customer profiles, and their their wants and needs and desires and um you know towards the end of the call we sort of all realized like you can you can almost never spend enough time digging into that as you're formulating your strategy and your content um and your overall approach to your to your audience so um i think sometimes ironically like a lack of focus on the audience which just seems like such a no-brainer in marketing and branding like like <laughs> t- think about who you're talking to is yeah. the, the principle there but in a but in a deep way in a strategic way so i think it's almost like you know, you go to work at a brand every day, and you get kind of caught up in your own stuff. You know, and I feel, I feel like that's one thing that you can see in some of the content and some of the, you know, branding materials that a lot of um, companies put out is, is they're, they're just like they're up their own ass, you know, and and you, and you kind of feel it and see it, and then they're yeah. kind of like, why don't, why aren't we getting results? Why aren't we getting, <laughs> you know, like, why aren't we hitting our like costs per customer acquisition and all that stuff? And it's like, well, you know, take your head out of there. So yeah, yeah, I just
2: add to that. Um, like completely, agree. I think the two most common things we see that annoy us about brands are one that they've drunk their own Kool Aid and they think that that they've created a revolutionary product. And then you use the product, and you're like, mate, this is just a this is just a rip off of someone else with slightly different branding and one USP. Fucking go, you know, if you be what eyes wide open about what you're selling. Um, the other, I genuinely think, is just a lack of. No one has any fucking creativity or interest in being risky anymore. Like you know, one of the I'm sure you've seen these similar pieces, like you know, those visual pieces that show all of the brands from the '90s and how mad everyone's logos were and their word marks were. And now every single brand just copies Apple's. They just do a, you know, it's a straight monochrome word mark because everyone would rather be non-offensive than actually inspiring. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest things we see, and one of the things we love about our agency and the people we get to work with is they are up for taking risks and you know they'd rather delight 70 percent of their market and piss off 30 percent of it than be a bowl of oatmeal to all 100 percent and that's that's one of the thing biggest things i think branding is missing at the moment are the risk takers
0: yeah i suppose it's it's tricky isn't it because i've i've been in that situation where Um, Let's take when I'm working with a client and we're looking at uh, brand identity, I'll always give them what they've asked for. And then I'll give them something that's kind of a bit more um, not not too risky, somewhere in the middle. And then I'll give them something that's really risky, like completely out there. Um, And often they're really drawn to the risky one but then when we have a conversation they, they 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 kind of end up talking themselves out of it and they'll tend to go for the one that's a bit more middle ground and i think it's i think it's difficult for for brands to do that because especially with the rise of social media it's if people don't like you for whatever reason like literally everyone will know and there's nothing there's really there's no hiding from it anymore <laughs> it's out there it's visible it's for everyone and i think i think a lot of brands are scared because they are so visible and because they don't have um, they don't have as much control now as they did before it used to be very orchestrated very okay here's an ad on a billboard or on tv now it's everywhere
2: yeah i just wish they were a little more balanced in terms of Totally agree with your point, and and, and bad branding is bad branding. I, I don't mm. think that you know, fun, you know, doing a bad job, you get crucified online. But you, yeah. you kind of should do. Um, what I'm talking about is like you know, I, I think too often, someone tries to take a risk with a, a social creative or a new bit of branding. They get you know a thousand people saying it's great on social, and then they get ten very loud people saying it's bad and they yeah. focus all of their attention on there and they've turned they tuck the tail and they just you know they, they that 10 people make them go our oh, crap and you look at all the brands that have managed to do an incredible job of um you know really dominating a niche where they shouldn't you know like where they they have no right to burst into the game you know someone like oatly you know they're going up against established people with uh, in the milk industry with hundreds of years they've even at the time no one remembers this they were going up about a a fractured um, plant-based milk market of about 20 competitors and they just went why don't we just not be unbelievably boring like why don't we actually have personality and people got pissed off at them you know a small amount of people got pissed off at them but most people went how delightful is this advertising this branding this marketing and they managed to completely crash a vertical that they had no right to and it all because they just went why don't we just do oat milk with personality rather than you know here's a super plain gray carton and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the health benefits and and carbon offsetting which are all important but it's gonna feel like a you know just a absolute just fucking bowl of oatmeal um of, of a marketing pitch yeah. um so yeah I, I, the risk-taking combined with genuinely good branding for, for sure
0: I agree. I've actually got some oatly, and I was actually reading the packaging and it was like, oh, if you're still here and reading.
2: <laughs> it's so good. It's so genuinely funny.
0: <laughs> it is really funny. Um, it also had on there something about um, what kind of cow does oat milk come from? Because people have actually asked that and pe- some people actually think <laughs> that there's a, a different cow for oat milk. Um, so, yeah, again, it made me laugh and it's memorable.
1: Yeah. I think on one of the ice cream Oatly ice cream labels they had like one of their staff members are, like this is like Ruth's favorite ice cream and like here's what she loves about it like that stuff is so great you know what I mean like you're again to the point of like human to human marketing it's like I'm interested in like what your who your staff are and what they like and why they like it and that adds a little zhuzh to my you know peeling off the the top label of the ice cream experience like just little things like that really make a difference and it's, it's those little touches I think that that add to a brand's uh, you know identity and and yeah, just like the little flourishes, I think, make a big difference.
0: Cool. So we've been talking about lots of good stuff. Things are going well, and I'm glad. And you're working with clients that are able to take risks, um, which is fantastic. Who doesn't Who doesn't want a client to be like, yeah, let's go for it. But I'm sure there's been some challenges over the past couple of years. Um, what's the biggest challenge... You've faced since you decided to start your business or one off
2: um stress um like I had never appreciated the why everyone has a nine to five job until leaving a nine to five job because you, you at five p m you close your laptop, you go home, and you do not think about work until eight thirty in the morning the next day. Um, that sort of peace of mind is something you can only appreciate once you think about work 24-7, you never really go offline. Um, And we've both worked very hard to push back on that and, and figure out healthy work-life boundaries but you, you really do get a trial by fire at the beginning when everything's stressful, you feel like you're always behind um, and you feel like you're always at work because you you know you have your phone in your pocket, you have your laptop, you never, you know, you, you find yourself at nine in the evening writing up a report or, you know, trying to sort something out for a client, um, something you would never do for your, for your nine-to-five job so I, I think that's been the biggest stress for me personally the, the biggest thing that's gone badly is just the, it had, you know at the start definitely had a pretty negative I- impact on my work life balance and, you know, just my mental health of but, you know, the more we've got through it, it's it's got a lot better. Um but that's probably been the biggest challenge for me, along with just constantly feeling like we're outside of our comfort zone.
0: <laughs> I think, yeah. It's um I I was you can't see me, but I was nodding a lot then. Um because I I, I totally hear you. It's um it becomes obsessive, I think. Mm but i think that comes from when you when you really really care about something and you want to make it work and you just it's just it's it's so consuming because you you love it so much and you it's it's your baby isn't it so i i get it but having those boundaries like you said it's so important and i'm i'm glad that it's it's getting better for you will and i hope it it continues to do so cuz stress is stress is so bad so bad for you
1: yeah when when people are you know saying platitudes like follow your dream and like chase your passion and stuff like that like they don't tell you about the nights you're like on your couch you know like trying to shovel some food in your face at like midnight with your laptop out falling asleep because you're trying to put that proposal together for that client that's like gonna push you you know over the edge in terms of the revenue that you need to get um or to like the the unglamorous nature of like going from, in my case, like being a freelancer who just has to hustle and worry about, you know, himself to, to a large extent and having certain satisfied clients, but then adding on, okay, now I got to meet payroll for like eight other people as well. Like that is, they don't, there's no, you know, guidebook for that. They don't tell you about that, but that is, I think to Will's point about stress, like some of the most, um, yeah, some of the most stressful moments we're trying to like reach launch velocity to kind of mm-hmm. get the agency off the ground. And then once you hit another point, your, your challenges become different. You know, we're like six months in, a year in, two years in. You're you're a different agency almost every quarter, every half year. Um so I think growing, growing pains, I think have been for me the most fascinating bit because I've had to be a different CEO and a different leader at every, you know, juncture during that during that journey. And that and that's really tricky.
0: Yeah. No, I can I can imagine and um Let's see. It's September twenty twenty two now. So, you guys started in June. So, yeah, just over just over two years. And how many are you now? Um, how many fu- people? Fu- are...
2: Full time team. I think there's yeah eight of us. Is it Paul? Yeah. And then yeah, I yeah. sort of we we also have like a distributed network of like two hundred plus freelancers that we sort of rope in for various uh, jobs. But yeah, full full time team of about. Eight
0: cool so the team's growing that's great we've talked about you know your values and the fact that you're very human focused um and as we know the creative industry branding industry it's it's often dominated by the same kinds of people um Again, I was looking at your website and your team look really diverse, which is really nice to see. Um, it's not often you see that in our space. Um, I know, you know, when we talk about diversity, it's not just, you know, how people look, where they're from, creed, colour, race, et cetera. It's also about, you know, diversity of thought as well. Um, I had a conversation with someone earlier names um sam warner and another podcast and we were talking about and people that are neurodivergent so people that think differently um and how important it is to try and and make sure that your team is diverse um how have you found that and how are you are you actively trying to implement it because it looks like you are and and has it been difficult
1: yeah i mean I i think it's um a principle we laid down very early on that you know um we've, we've seen the data and we just know intrinsically and, and morally frankly that like diverse teams do better perform better you know and, and it's not even just about performance but just like the ethical right thing to do in 2020 in one of the most diverse cities in the world to like build a truly diverse creative agency marketing agency um so yeah just it hits so many levels and, and frankly like our clients look at us and they're like, yeah, this is a group of people that can speak to our global audience better than, you know, these five other staff pages for these agencies that just, like, don't really look like a global audience. Let's so just put it that way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And you can sort of fill in the blank. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's. I think once you lay down the principle and you set in sp- specific processes in terms of how you recruit, are you building a batch of of initial people that you're inviting to interviews, that is a diverse pool. A lot of organizations don't even do that. I was having a conversation with another agency the other day and they were blown away by that suggestion that they should have a diverse pool to even offer interviews to. And it's it's pretty astounding I think the the varying levels of practice when it comes to hiring, recruiting and just building a diverse team out there.
2: Yeah, I think Paul deserves a, a huge amount of credit for that cuz he he's really Led the way on that, and um, you know, just just done a brilliant job of it. And I, I think you know, it, it's not it's not something I had thought about as much, and ob- obviously because I, I'm I'm a white privately educated man, like I've never had to think about it. And I'm, I do think a lot for other agency owners who quite often are white privately educated men. If you do genuinely care about it you have to just fucking listen and like actually listen rather than kind of paying lip service to this sort of thing. You know, me and Paul would sit down and Paul would quite frankly educate me on, you know, some of the issues of our industry and I'd just be like, yeah, okay. Like, I, you know, I, I believe your lived experience and i Trust you, like, let's do this rather than kind of. I think now too often, um, you hear these folk at you know conferences and whatever bemoan the lack of diversity in our industry and then do fuck all about it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think Paul deserves a huge amount of credit. Um, and yeah, if I if to other agency owners out there, I just you know recommend actually listen and actually do something about it because, um, there's there's too much talking and, and not enough action on, on you know, the fact that I've, I've the people that do marketing don't look like the people who market who we we market to.
0: Yeah, no, and I think I think it's really good that you've got that you're able to be so honest and frank with each other and have these conversations. And I think I think a lot of the time, people you know when people put on their CVs great at communication, and then you hear them have a conversation with someone. <laughs> and it's like hmm okay you're not I don't get I don't feel like you're actually saying what you want to say like I think it's okay to say what you want to say and get your point across as long as you're not going out of your way to actively offend someone and and I think more often than not people are quick to react to something they've heard rather than actually stop listen think about it process it and go oh okay so this is what you're saying this is what I think okay let's try this and I think it's really good that you two have got this relationship clearly clearly you've got a a good working relationship but also you know your mates as well
1: yeah I I think that that makes a difference because I think we can like just look at each other in the eye and have like a frank conversation about about anything about agency finances about diversity about you know um, you know uh, challenging workplace experiences we might be having with like a colleague or something like that I think it's it's sort of all on the table but I think that that's the foundation and, and you see I think too like it requires like a willingness to kind of like check yourself and some of the other agency owners I talk to like the core problem is like their own personal networks aren't diverse so how are they how the hell are they going to build a diverse agency let's just be real so it causes like an identity quake you know, in, in a lot of people when, when they hear, oh, we've got to make our agency more diverse, they feel inside themselves as they should, like, well, where am I going to pull from? Because I know my own network is not, even though I went to this prestigious university and have lived in London, one of the most, you know, cosmopolitan cities in the world. So, and, and, you know, that, that's, I don't know, that's difficult. And, and also yeah. there's, the, there's the starting piece too of like, People look at an agency and they see there's like a black founder, for example, they want to work for that agency, people from diverse backgrounds, you know, so um, you need to have, I think, an initial team that attracts later team as well. And that's a bit of a chicken and egg issue, but I think it's overcomable. I think think
2: as well, the the thing that a lot of um, agency owners fall down with is like they don't... um, They don't accept that they have to be the first mover in many instances where, you know, they're always like, okay, well, I'll consider candidates with the same experience and I don't care of their, you know, their color or their gender or whatever it is. But they don't understand that because of the systemic inequalities that we're trying to fix here you are always going to have candidates from minority backgrounds with less experience because they couldn't go do a three-year unpaid internship while they were supported by the bank of mum and dad. So if you actually do want to solve these problems, quite often you have to hire someone based on sort of like attitude and rather than like experience and that and people shit the bed at, at that concept of like oh well, we can't we can't possibly do that we'll take the person with five years experience yeah. and it's like well yeah they have five years experience because they're from this privileged background and you know it, it it is it is you have got to actually understand what you're getting into if you really are looking to solve some of the dei
1: problems in in our um, in our um vertical and, and just yeah. to, be, to, to underscore that point like I think sometimes people hear that and they hear like lower expectations when it's actually like a broadening of perspective, you know, about about like how you recruit, who you recruit, what life and professional experiences you you put into, you know, the pot that you consider from. And I think that's like a like a mental step that a lot of people aren't able to take is that they think for whatever reason that they need to you know, reduce their, their expectations or whatever. That is not what anyone's saying at all. They're, we're talking about broadening. We're talking about growing the pie, not you know narrowing it in any way and, and putting your agency in danger or anything along those silly lines. Yeah,
2: and if
0: you I think hire, that's a really good point. Sorry, go on, Will. I was just gonna say, yeah, and and you will
2: all, and even if you don't actually care about the morals and the ethics of it, which you should, even if you only care about the bottom line, if you hire on attitude rather than experience, I fucking promise you, you will thrive more. Like people, someone driven that doesn't have the two-year internship is going to do a better job than someone who's complacent and has the two-year internship every single time.
0: Yeah, attitude always wins. It's the same when i think about sport because i i play field hockey um although i'm having a bit of a rest at the minute because i pulled my hamstring anyway um but yeah when you look at people within the team the you know there's there's always a different level you know some people have better skills than others hmm. some people are quicker some people are stronger but the ones are always always do well that might not be the most skillful it's it's the ones that really try it's the ones that are there that turn up with the right attitude the 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 mindset that they're gonna win the mindset that they're gonna do their absolute best for the team they're the ones that always excel
2: yeah and you, you see it as well when you look at the the sort of generation defining sports people they're always like Married to the game, you know, like you yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo's, your Lionel Messi's, your Kobe's, your M- M- Michael Jordans. They're nutters. Like, they're, like they're too, they're too into the sport it's their life and that's how they, you know, you have to have that commitment as well as that talent because, you you know, how often do you hear about that? You know, he's got all the talent in the world as a sports person and then they don't apply it and, you know, it just, yeah, it's it, it's the combination of attitude and skill. That's what makes the, the ge- generation defining anything.
0: Yeah, and um, when we talk about we've talked about having the right attitude and skill and kind of checking yourself and it's it all comes down to the individual doesn't it and the and paying attention to your own thoughts and feelings and the relationship that you have with yourself um how has how has the relationship you have with yourself impacted your business and where it's going
1: yeah it's uh I think that the point I raised earlier about like really trying to ride the wave and having to be a different leader at different, um, you know, junctures of the, uh, of the agency is like a really important, uh, really important point. Um, like now I feel like I'm at a point where I need to become a better people manager, a better coach, a better, you know, cheerleader, um, a better facilitator of other people's work, um, and by like building structures and, and supportive systems and things like that. So um, that, that's a different shift. And so, you know, I try to read articles about it. I try to, I'm reading books. I try to take care of my own mental and physical health so I can be that supportive presence. Um, I try to learn more about sales because more of my job is shifting into sort of, you know, biz dev and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's definitely been like an emotional roller coaster to Will's earlier point about like different types of stress at different phases of the business and really having to like check in with yourself about and even stuff like, you know, Will and I both go to therapy, and you know, we we've implemented a, you know unlimited coaching for our entire team, you know, because of that. Wow, because we, That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: <clears throat> wow, I love how open you are about that as well. That's brilliant.
1: yeah oh, you
2: gotta, gotta, no, no shame in therapy at all. Um, no, yeah. And just to say to Paul's point, I, I think something with any business that you start yourself, it really underlines some of the stuff about yourself you might have ignored or you know for example I say yes far too easily and I'm very people pleasing which is the worst possible trait to have in client management because clients (laughs) will ask and so me and Paul have that you know quite often try and both be on a call because if he leaves me there I'll say yes to everything if I leave him (laughs) there he'll say no to everything so we have to have this like good cop bad cop (laughs) place where we kind of reach a nice balance (laughs)
0: good cup bad cup i can see yeah you sh- maybe you could do um i could see you guys being a little sketch <laughs> like i could see a comedy sketch happening
1: <laughs> yeah we have we have a lot of jokes that make it into slack from client calls about the, like i think will's just very good at like reading my face and when a client says something absolutely freaking off the wall i'm just like i just lose it i'm just like i cannot <laughs> deal with what's happening here and and I think it comes from being a teacher. I used to be a middle school teacher. So like kids would just do off the wall shit. And I'd just be like, you better, you better not, you know, just kind of <laughs> have that. And so like, I just can't, I'm terrible at poker for that reason. But yeah. But look,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I must get it from my mom because <laughs> I, yeah, I'm generally quite smiley, but if something's wrong, I can't hide it. I just can't. And the more I try, the more obvious it is that there's something wrong. So yeah, I'd be terrible at poker as well. Um, so you guys are based in London. I'm based in Derbyshire. Um, and for those that you don't know, Derbyshire is somewhere in the middle of England. Um, lots of trees and woods and things. It's quite nice. Um, if you could pick up your office and put it anywhere else, where would you put it? and why would you put it back in the u.s paul
1: it's a good question i mean uh, i think from a like from a market perspective right like there's canned answers like around like you know silicon valley or new york Mm. as like tech hubs um but i think there's i think that's like lessening in importance and we're seeing that from from clients as well um so, yeah, I might pick somewhere cool. Like, I, I love living in Mexico City. Like, you eat really well there, good cost of living, um, you know. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for, like, living in a place. And I think about this a lot as, like, a USP, but, like, living in a place where you're constantly engaging with, like, music and art and culture and creativity and to yeah. the degree to which that. You know, influences you, the quality of your branding and your your creative marketing and things like that for clients. I think that's kind of an undersold uh, U.S.P. that maybe we should be touting a bit more. But I definitely get that from London. So I'd think about other places around the globe um, that are that are facilitating that for agency leaders.
2: Okay, New, cool. New Orleans, hands down, straight yeah. New Orleans. New Orleans, or uh, I'd be, I'd back Paul on Mexico, but I'd want to go either of the coasts so that I could surf. <laughs> And my team could surf, not just me. Um, I'm not a I'm narcissist, but mainly me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've not been surfing. I had, I did try paddleboarding for the first time this year, though, and loved it.
2: It's good. Surfing's even more fun. It's way more just, like, mad. Paddleboarding's, like, a nice, consistent, chill, fun, Yeah. whereas surfing's, yeah. like, 20 seconds of just... nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um yeah we'll see. I don't think no. I'm not at the surfing stage yet definitely not it's it's quite it looks really scary.
1: <laughs> Where's your spot danielle?
0: um I think I'm just thinking about all the places that I've been to, and there's not many um this is gonna sound really odd but i'd m- I'd move it to Scotland, <laughs> <laughs> mm just because it won't be beneficial to the business at all. It would just be me. I just, I went to the North coast of Scotland and this sounds really cheesy, but I genuinely fell in love Mm. with the area. It's just, there was just something about it. I just felt, I felt so calm and at peace and just that slower pace of life gave me the opportunity to be able to just really think and really hear my thoughts um yeah i loved it and it it felt didn't feel like i was in the uk at all and magical so yeah
2: edinburgh would be probably top five for me as well so yeah great shout
0: yeah yeah edinburgh's ah i want to go back maybe not in the winter though um okay so i'd when i talk to people like when I say people, I'm I'm thinking about the students that I speak to, because I lecture as well. Um, and I often, I don't just talk about like all the good stuff and show off my work and stuff. I talk a lot about my failures, because I think that that's really important. A lot of the time, we see the polished, finished, success stories and not not the struggle and the times where things have gone tits up um so if you're willing to share i'd really like to know your biggest failure one of them and just what what you learned from having that experience why are you thinking i'm happy to share mine if you want <coughs>
2: Yeah, go for it. I'd so,
0: love yeah, one of mine was, um, I was working on a huge catalogue. Um, I think it was about 300 odd pages. And it was about to go to print. So we'd receive the printer's uh, proof so we could check it, the printer's pairs. There was something going on with my Mac. So rather than save it on the server, I decided to save it on my desktop. Um InDesign crashed <laughs> and we pretty much lost like months and months of work because there wasn't there wasn't a backup. Um and yeah, it was that that client was worth a lot a lot of money. Um because they had a really good working relationship, we didn't use, lose them, but it could have, you know, it could have cost the agency that client. Um and it just taught me to, no matter what, back your shit up, <laughs> save your stuff somewhere else. Don't work, just work off your desktop because we've all done it when we're in a rush. And now I just don't. I just, I just don't ever know mm-hmm. um, because of that. So, yeah.
1: Um, that's a, yeah, back it up. That's that's a that's a straightforward one. Um, mm-hmm. I think I don't know if it's like a. It's not my necessarily biggest failure, but one that like really stands out to me in my past life. I was an educator and one year I was uh, living in Boston, working as kind of like a, a replacement, um, you know, what we call vice principal, essentially. Um, and so, you know, just just step under the, the principal, the school leader and. Um, I got into that position because, like, you know, the principal initially left, and then one of the vice principals had a baby, and so the the other vice principal got promoted to principal, and I was just there as like this intern learning how to be a principal. And so all of a sudden, I find myself in charge of this like entire, you know, few hundred uh, middle school. We call it so sixth through eighth grade, so like you know whatever, eleven through thirteen year olds.
0: Okay.
1: And I was in charge of like standardized testing, which is like a nightmare in the states. You got to certain times, and there's specific laws and like kids have to be in certain rooms and all this stuff and it was very complex and so I had to put together this schedule to get you know hundreds of students into different rooms at very specific times and get the teachers there and all that stuff and I screwed up the schedule and hundred just imagine hundreds of students in hallways with like nowhere to go not sure where they're going teachers in the hallways like just absolute chaos chaos and people were looking at me realizing that it was my my fuck up
0: yeah
1: um Um, And what it taught me was about, like, and I fixed it. I apologize, whatever. It ended up being okay, not great. But it taught me about the gravity of leadership and that, like, people are counting on you and you have to pay attention to the details and ask for help where you need it and engage other people in building and operating complex systems. Um, Because if you don't, you end up with chaos and you end up with people looking at you and kind of, um, you know, askance about, like, what have you done? And so, like, I think... It, it just, like, really impressed upon me, like, you know, I know you're just a grad student at that time, Paul, but, like, take this more seriously because, like, this is, you know, you're leading a school. This is like kids' education, literally, and, and you know, it, it really matters. So,
2: um, Yeah, I think probably my biggest failures have all just come, have all been around similar themes, to be honest. Um, it's when we've not pushed back on clients when we know we're right. Like, I, so that makes us sound so arrogant, but it, it's... We've done what the clients said and asked for, rather than what we know will work, um, just because we don't. And I, you know, we we've lost a couple of big clients from it. Um, You know, and realizing the you know the realization from that is you hire an agency to be your experts, not just to be your executors, and so when you have those situations you know it's it doesn't it there's not just a moral duty to you know say hey that's not going to work there is a financial if you you might get a month or two worth of contract from executing what they think they want but you'll get a lifetime of of um, work if you go i know you think you want x but what you actually need is y here's all the reasons here's the logic behind it um now let us go do that for you and, and you know make get you a bunch of results
0: yeah no, absolutely. They're really good, really good lessons to learn. Um, so, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you: Is there anything that you wish you'd known before you decided to build a, bra- a brand? And anything kind of, you know, any any real uh, words of wisdom or advice for anyone that wants to wants to start one?
2: Not. Um not something we wish we knew but i I think this is more something we we thought we knew at the time and has very much um paid dividends since is it's so much more important than you think it is um you know we when we when we started out for the first time as a startup all we had was our website and our branding on that website. The first contract we ever landed, we put every single bit of money into the brand and the website. And it's pretty much landed us all of our business since, you know, before we had those credentials of, hey, look at these 20 great clients we've worked with and all these results we've got. The first people that did was, you know, they enjoyed a conversation with me and Paul. They went to our website and went, oh, fuck, these guys really know their shit because they've got a great brand and a great website. And we closed, you know, multi-billion dollar clients in terms of valuation just because we took it seriously from day one um so yeah i think in terms of building a brand put it invest every bit of your first bit of profit into your website there's nothing more important than that more people will see that than what you'll ever meet um and yeah just from terms of branding make it exciting make it interesting don't be afraid to be bland um it's better to have twenty percent of the people in your market love you than a hundred percent of
1: the people in your market not care about you.
0: Yeah. Good advice. Thanks, William.
1: I, I think um the importance of planning, you know, and and obviously, you know, coming especially coming out of the pandemic, like a lot of us realize there's just stuff you can't plan for, right? But I think some of our um trickiest moments and, and you know, frankly, failures have come from probably just a lack of thinking ahead, just taking a minute, having a chat with the team, thinking ahead about, you know, a project or, you know, you know, who we're pursuing as clients and if it's the right fit or how it can be the right fit, you know, and just like, and I think that's also unique to remote work situations sometimes where there's potentially a tendency structurally to under communicate rather than have the call, you know, build the thing together. And then, you know, once everyone's on the same page, move it forward. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that lack of just like kind of sitting down and thinking ahead a bit you know because you're just moving so fast and then especially in the tech space it's you know you got all these tools that to kind of ping you and and really distracts from your attention to like long-term planning Um so yeah I think that's that's sort of what I'd say is like take that time you know and I think that we, we've seen the difference this year where we sat down we'll put together a great strategy for the year and I was just looking back at it and we've we've hit a lot of it even though we haven't actually looked back at it which is which is fantastic but it speaks to the power of just sitting down, getting one on the same page and doing a little bit of forward thought and forward uh, planning.
0: Amazing. So we've got planning, we've got caring about people, treating people like humans, um, paying attention to your values, looking after your mental health, lots of good stuff, which I'm sure um, all of us can kind of, you know, take and and use within... Lies, be be us be brand builders or not so um yeah i just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today um it's been great speaking to you both um but before you go just let us know where people can find you if they want to
1: yeah we're at uh literalhumans.com and uh at literal Humans on uh, pretty much all of your important uh, social channels i mean linkedin is probably our biggest uh, social channel at the moment but we are looking to grow the others very soon and practice what we preach but uh yeah literalhumans.com is probably your best bet
0: awesome and thank, thank you, you Paul. thank
1: you for your time we appreciate it yeah it was such a pleasure such a great conversation really appreciate it Amy.
0: thank you for listening to build better brands i am so grateful to have you tune in into the show And I'd love to thank you personally. So wherever you are in the world, remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories. Let us know when you're listening. You want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a tone. And if you would like to help more people like you discover the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners. It's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing. Suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.